Meanwhile, Mark Roy is here, the guy that used to do what John's doing now here at this radio station, with his theme, The Beatles on the Radio. This is an annual show that we do with Mark, covering various aspects of the incredible history of the Beatles. All right, Mark, what's next? Well, I'm going to chime in here for John. Don't forget Number 9 Dream by John Lennon. Okay. Um, well, we <laughs> He's down the hall now. He's down the hall already. <laughs> I'm guessing he won't forget that. Well, you know, the Beatles continued to do um, um, more more radio programs on the BBC. And, and the only unusual uh, appearance on radio that they did outside of that was uh, during a visit to Sweden in October of 1963. Uh, Beatlemania is full scale right now. And um, when the Beatles anthology came out in 1995, it was a year after that first BBC compilation came out. So the only BBC radio recording that's on the Beatles anthology is Lend Me Your Comb. Uh, a B-side by Carl Perkins, but is there that, were is that also kind of takeoff on Cookie Cookie. Let me your comb. It, it may like, have been. I'm not sure which comes first. I have to check Ed, Ed dates Burns on that. Eddie Burns yeah. on Sun on seventy seven seventy seven Sunset Strip. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. and uh, yeah, Eddie Cookie Burns. Showing our age. Yes, we are. We are. And the uh, <laughs> appearance in uh, Stockholm had seven songs, but five of them appear on the anthology. And uh, uh, this is one of their really pure live performances where there's no screaming. It's a live performance, no screams. You're hearing the Beatles as pure as you can. And a lot of Beatle fans think this is this is one of the best live performances the Beatle, Beatles ever recorded. October 24th, 1963.
American group called The Miracles. It's called You've Really Got a Hold on Me. Screaming at the end after the Beatles perform on the radio at the BBC. And that is a good example of what we were discussing off air. That one thing I noticed the more I listened to, especially early Beatles, is that it was John who was the dominant voice on a lot of those songs. Yeah, Paul got his, George got his once in a while, and even like we heard Ringo a little while ago, Honey Don't. Well, we didn't hear Ringo doing this version, but the one that we all knew from earlier. But those are two songs, Money and you've really got a hold of me that John was the lead vocal on. It's right. so typical of the time. It seemed to be the dominant one at that time. Um, and it's probably indicative of the relationship he had with Paul and with the other Beatles. Um, he's the one who started the Quarrymen group. 
that Paul joined and then George joined. So John was looked up to. He was the oldest until Ringo came along. He was the oldest in the group. And so they looked up to him. So he's doing a lot of those cover songs. And and uh, like I said earlier in that audition for the BBC, they, the guy noted vocals. John, yes. Paul, no. But as we know, over the years, it changes as Paul becomes a more uh, a stronger singer and a stronger songwriter, just like John. I mean, they're writing together at the beginning. They're they're John. They're Lennon McCartney songs, and and there's so much documentation uh, about. Oh, that's that's John's song, but I helped with this. Oh, that's Paul's song, and I helped with this. With the later stuff, as they come along, they're developing as individual songwriters. You mentioned the Quarrymen. So all the stuff we're playing today was from radio broadcasts of the BBC. Mostly people just recording it off the radio, and that's what we're playing this morning. But you know, a lot of the quality is actually pretty good. Were there actual recordings made of when they, as the Quarrymen or maybe early Beatles, played at the Cavern Club? Uh, not the Quarrymen. Um, there are recordings of the Quarrymen, um, supposedly recordings um, from around the time that John and Paul met. Um, but again, they're very poor quality. Somebody is just rolling a tape at an event, and the and the Quarrymen happen to be one of the groups playing. Um, I think. Uh, uh, and, and now you're taxing my memory here. There are some early recordings they did. You know, the Quarrymen was a not a group that lasted for very long. Um, the other members of the group were friends of John and then friends of Paul, but they came and went. They didn't have time. They didn't put in the commitment that John and Paul and then George put in and stayed with the group. We talked about Pete Best being replaced by Ringo. The, originally, as Quarrymen and then as the Silver Beatles and the Beatles, they went through drummers very quickly. They had lots mm -hmm. of drummers, and eventually Paul learned how to play the drums because sometimes they'd show up for a gig and there was no drummer. Until they got Pete Best, there was no there was no constancy in in the in the rhythm seat uh, for that group. Now. People who know their 60s music may know a song called Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. And I, who know that era pretty well, was not aware that the Beatles did a cover of that. The original hit by Rolf Harris was a worldwide hit. And I guess that Rolf made an appearance with the Beatles on well, the BBC? It was their first of four episodes called From Us to You. We, paid, we played the intro theme before the 9 o'clock break. And uh, so on one of these programs, Rolf Harris served as the host. The Beatles were not the hosts of these programs. They were, the, they were the center of the whole thing. But there would be a host, a BBC DJ or Rolf Harris. And he would uh, play other songs by other groups. But then the Beatles would perform their songs pre-recorded usually. Um, but in this case, he also interviewed them and talked with them. And uh, on this D December 26, 1963, Boxing Day, uh, he asked them to join him in a rewritten version of Timey Kangaroo Down. Now, was this a jam? Did they kind of come up with these lyrics, which you're going to hear totally different from the original hit song, on the spot? Or was it in advance written and they just Rolf Harris did this a, a before the program. He jotted down some some rewritten lyrics that applied to the Beatles. They're pretty corny by today's standards. They were corny <laughs> by those standards in 1963. But they were just horsing around. But they are horsing and, around. And it works. So when you, yep. when you listen to this, listen to the lyrics, because this is, a, again, adapted lyrics for the Beatles of the original Rolf Harris song, Timey Kangaroo Downsport? Uh, 
Fellas, do you feel like singing a chorus with me? Yes, Ralph! Yes! There's enthusiasm for you. I'll, I'll give you a rough idea how it goes. It starts off with me going like this. One, two, uh, one, two, three, four. And you come in in E, Paul. That's it. And then all together. That's nice. There's an old Australian stockman lying, dying. And he gets himself up onto one elbow and he turns to his four mates who are gathered round and he says... Cut your hair once a year, boys Cut your hair once a year If it covers your ear, you can't hear, boys So cut your hair once a year All together now Time be kangaroo down Small Time be kangaroo down Time be kangaroo down You must do a bit Time kangaroo down Dear, oh dear I forgot the words Take care of me, make sure, look out after me. Keep going. <laughs> Take care, look after me, Momona. Uh, here we go. Don't ill treat me, pet dingo, Ringo. Don't ill treat me, pet dingo. He can't understand your lingo, Ringo. So don't ill treat me, pet dingo. All together now, time me kangaroo down. Small, time me kangaroo down. Time me kangaroo down. Small, time me kangaroo down. I think George's guitar's on the blink, I think. George's guitar's on the blink. Well, it shouldn't go. Blink. That's really on the blink. All together now. Time me kangaroo down. Small. Time me kangaroo down. Time me kangaroo down. Small. Time me kangaroo down. Prop me up by the wall, Paul. Prop me up by the wall. I'll scream and cheer till I fall, Paul. If you'll prop me up by the wall. All together now. Time me kangaroo down. Small. Time me kangaroo down. Keep the hits coming on, John. Keep the hits coming on. At least till after I'm gone, John. Keep the hits coming on. All to get the now. Time me kangaroo down. Small. Time me kangaroo down. Time me kangaroo down. Small. Time me kangaroo down. Give us a bit of... That's it. And with his very last gasp, he says, Tan me hide when death comes. Chums. <coughs> oh dear. Tan me hide when death comes. So we tanned his hide when he died. Clyde and the Ringo's got it on his drums. All together now, time me kangaroo down. Small, time me kangaroo down. Time me kangaroo down. Small, time me kangaroo down. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that fun? You know, Mark brought in 17 cuts. We played 15 of them so far. Mark, that's my favorite one. That was really funny. I think, I think they had fun with it. But how fortuitous that Dingo rhymes, rhymes with Ringo. I... <laughs> well, especially since Dingo is an Australian thing and Rolf Harris is apparently Australian. So, yeah, that worked out great. So, And that was from uh, December 26th, Boxing Day, as you accurately said, back in 1963. What was the program Top Gear? Top Gear uh, was a program, um, an, another program that was, no pun intended, geared for teenagers, uh, but also, um, you know, I think I think 20-somethings as well. As the music scene started to change, the BBC created this program to highlight uh, the up-and-coming groups and also the Beatles. I mean, it helped make Top Gear uh, um, one of the premier programs on the BBC. 
So this song is from Top Gear. Right. Uh, if this is from November of 1964. We're jumping nearly a year from our the last song we played because in, come 1964, they are no longer on a regular basis appearing, uh, performing their music on the BBC. As I said at the top of the program, they were on 52 programs where they performed music. 39 of them alone were in 1963. So Beatlemania is 1963 in the UK. As 1964 dawns, uh, they have worldwide tours now to go on. And I apologize again for my phone going off. There's a, silent, there's a silencer <laughs> button, you know. I know. I thought I had it. Uh, that's actually one of my timers. I'm supposed to take a medication at this time, but we'll do that. All right. Well, you know, we'll, talk, we'll discuss what that's about. We're we can talk about that. Here. Sure. But, uh, again, uh, but anyway, they're um, doing fewer programs, uh, and this one uh, that we're talking about from November of 1964, uh, it's their final appearance on Top Gear. They've been on it several times, and they do six songs, and uh, kind of typifies the way their music has changed. They're still doing some covers, but by ni- the time they get to 1965 with their commercial recordings, there are fewer and fewer, and then no more cover songs. So for this program, they performed I'm a Loser, Honey Don't, this time sung by Ringo. She's a Woman, Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby, I'll Follow the Sun, and this song, I'll Feel Fine. from Top Gear in 1964, November. And to put that in perspective, that would be nine months after the Ed Sullivan appearance, number one, February 9th, 1964. And what I think about that, unlike a lot of the stuff we played earlier this morning, the Beatles on the radio in the BBC, 
That sounds pretty close to the single that we all know and love. Right. Very close. Very close. Which which is why at the top of the program we played that version of uh, Hard Day's Night that they recorded for the BBC. And at the end they continued to play their their instruments so people could get the sense that they had performed it live. Um, because now they're at a point where they're they are very good musicians and they can repeat themselves and um, you know sound just like their record. And this is just out of left field here, but that performance was on a BBC program called Top Gear, which we talked about a moment ago. Well, one of the things that if you live through that Beatles era, one of the British words that kind of made it across the pond here was the word gear, which meant like cool or good or things like that. And I'm wondering if you know if that was why they called it Top Gear. Was that a is that where that phrase came from? I don't know the the origin. I, I suspect that's probably true. It is part of the slang in in the UK, uh, and so they used it for the title of the program. But uh, I don't I don't speak with that with any knowledge of that original. Uh, you know, as a basis. Now this June 1965 number will kind of end this segment with. Was this their last appearance on the BBC? This is their last appearance as uh, performing music. They will continue to appear on interview programs through the end of the group in 1970. So On uh, the BBC. On the BBC. Yeah. And as I said, these 52 programs that I've been talking about are where they performed music. They were on many other programs where they were interviewed but did not perform. All right, what's the background here on Well, this the background song? here is that it has been months and months since they've appeared doing any of their music. They've been off on world tours in 64 and 65. And uh, one more time, on um, June 7th of 1965, uh, they, they put out a program that's called The Beatles Invite You to Take a Ticket to Ride. And so the very last song on the program and the last that they'll ever perform for the BBC is Ticket to Ride.
No screaming fans at the end of that song? No, done in the studio. And in, oh. and uh, um, the last song that they ever recorded, uh, or ever had played, uh, that they recorded for the BBC in 1965. Um, mm-hmm. We... Uh, talked about the word gear, and I looked it up uh, on Wikipedia, which is so helpful at times. Makes me really smart. <laughs> if, it's, if it's true, if you can trust the source. Uh, and, it, and it triggered a memory that gear actually refers to describing fashion. So you would say, hey, that shirt's really gear. But you wouldn't say, boy, your, your poodle is gear. See, you, my, you my Yukon logo form. shirt, man, it's gear. Right. Sure. And your mask <laughs> is fab. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, all words that we heard, but I cannot remember anybody in my circle of friends in the in 60s using those words other in a, in a mocking or satirical sense. Yeah, but we heard it, though, back yes, in the 60s, Yes, but we heard too. it then a lot from it the It also seemed to me, you just talked about the studio recording there. Well, I guess that's BBC studio recording of Ticket to Ride. It sounded to me like as we went from song one, Hard Day's Night, which well, actually that was uh, Top Gear also from 64, but then some of the early 62 stuff, that the quality of what we played on the air over the last two hours seemed to get gradually better. Was that version of Ticket to Ride also recorded by some kid off his little no. Panasonic reel-to-reel? That is from the BBC, and it was released um, uh, as part of the, uh, the compilations that they put out. Um, the um, Yeah, we talked about the quality earlier. Some of that early stuff that we did from 62 especially has never been released by the BBC. If they have copies of it, they've just deemed that the quality wasn't good enough, could not be using digital tricks of today could not make it sound to the level that they wanted for a commercial release. Mark Roy, our Beatles expert this morning, today talking about the Beatles on the radio, the radio being the BBC, not American radio, as the audio cuts were really interesting this morning. And I got feedback. I got emails from people who said, one of them said that they love the Beatleology or whatever the word was they used. So it's an annual show that we do with Mark. And this year we talked about the Beatles on the radio and I hadn't really thought about this, but we, you actually came down a couple of nights ago. We put all these tracks together. You did it, and I just made sure they worked, and they did. But we've done this for like 10 years now with a different theme every year. Yeah, we've done it since 2012. The only year we skipped was 2018, and I think that's because we were originally scheduled for December, but we jumped to January. So we missed doing a show in 2018. So well, I think we've so, done so this we did, 11 times now. So we did it, but did we do two in 2019? No, we did it in January in oh, the following year. Yeah. And then yeah. last year we did it on February 4th because we tied it into the Fab Four well, on we, Feb 4. We originally tied it to Boxing Day, which was uh, yeah. every year on Boxing Day in 62, 63, 64, the Beatles did a Boxing Day radio program. And I give Mark full credit on this because, A, all these themes. We, we don't talk about the same stuff every year. All, he comes up with the themes, and then B, he comes up with the cuts. I just sit here and play him and let him tell the stories and see the research you've done. And you know a lot of this stuff off the top of your head, but, yo, you got prep notes there. You were able to look stuff up, so you had good information on the air. Great, great show today. I, I have several books about the Beatles. Well, I have a couple of shelves of books about the Beatles. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of information. Now, did you take your medication? I did not. Um, uh, no, I didn't. I don't well, have it with me. It's at home. Watch this. Here's your Oprah question. Okay. Mark, why do you need medication? Well, that medication is actually a blood thinner, and that is a result of the other other thing that we uh, we could talk about here. And I want to talk about this yes. because it's something I think we should talk about publicly. Mark has a serious medical issue going on right now, and to be honest, we're lucky he's alive. 
But I think it also is a message to people to be aware of their health and get things checked out. What things would those be, Mark? Okay, in 2016, fall of 2016, um, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I'd had my annual checkup in August with my primary care physician, and he said, hey, Mark, your PSA number has gone from three and a half to six or almost seven. Maybe you should have a biopsy. So I had a biopsy. Turned out my prostate was cancerous. And so in January of 19, uh, in 2017, um, six years ago this month, I had my prostate removed in surgery. But afterward, the surgeon said, we tried to get as much tissue as we could. Your prostate was 23% cancerous. Um, and we tried to get as much surrounding tissue uh, as possible, but we didn't get it all, which meant there was still some microscopic material left. Um, I started taking some medication and um, the uh, and had blood work done over the months, and it turned out they wanted to do some radiation treatment. So in the fall of 2017, I went for 37 weekdays in a row from September to November and had radiation on the lower abdomen area where the, where the prostate originally was. Um, that worked to a degree, but there was still an indication that there was some PSA left behind. Uh, my numbers were around four or five, should have been zero. Um, after that, um, I uh, continued on um, going back from time to time having blood work done, and it looked like the PSA was rising. So I was put on a drug called abiraterone uh, in 2019, and that um, lowers your testosterone. Testosterone is what this prostate cancer is going for. It's what it, it devours and wants to uh, grow after getting the testosterone. So the medications I was on were lowering my testosterone. Um, unfortunately, this is a slow-moving cancer that finds its way around whatever is being used to treat it. So again, the PSA is going up and um, the abiraterone was no longer working by itself. So in the fall of I'm going to forget the year here, I think 2020, I uh, went to Dana-Farber and became part of a clinical trial that was using a drug uh, whose name I have totally forgotten but because it's so many months ago. And for six and, and months... Probably so many syllables, too. Yes, and it <clears throat> didn't have a commercial name yet. And uh, it started to work, and then it didn't in conjunction with the abiraterone. So in 21... Yeah, in... Uh, February of 21, I went off of the clinical trial and also stopped the abiraterone. Now, the abiraterone um, had a couple of side effects, and that was it uh, led to my having AFib and atrial flutter in my heart. Um, I started having some heart issues, and that's why I'm, I'm still on the blood thinner. Uh, eventually, by the fall of 2020, I was having some really strong AFib. I went in for an MRI related to the prostate cancer, and when I came out of what seemed like an oven, I was in that MRI machine for about an hour, and it got really hot, and I had not eaten because I'd had some earlier tests, missed lunch, hadn't had anything to drink. When I came out of that and went to stand up, I passed out. So this was associated with Hartford Hospital. So they wheeled me through the cavernous 
the lower floors that led from the bone uh, uh, center over to Hartford Hospital proper, and I spent a night in the uh, in the ER. Uh, where a uh, cardiologist came and saw me and said, you've got AFib, and we need to do something about that. So I went on the blood thinner. I also went on metoprolol um, for the AFib. Um, but eventually, going off of the abiraterone, which is what caused thou those problems, um, <clears throat> um, it started to reverse. I mean, I still had those, and I went in for two procedures called an ablation. They go in through um, a blood vessel from your um, groin area and with a very you know, microscopic uh, tube that goes all the way up to your heart, they freeze one of the chambers of your heart. So they did one chamber to take care of the AFib. They did the other chamber four months later to take care of the atrial flutter or the other way around. I forget which one was done first. Both of those problems are gone. So I went off of metoprolol and I continue on the blood thinner because... You never know if AFib is going to come back, atrial fibrillation. So in the meantime, um, from uh, having gone off the abiraterone, um, my doctors, um, the team that I, I dealt with at Dana-Farber said, we have a new drug. We have a new, new radiation treatment uh, that could help you. However, right now, it's in clinical trials, and we can't get you in to that clinical trial because you had a procedure done some months ago that we can't allow you in. But that's going to change. So we'll be able to let you in some months from now. So as an interim, in March of 2021, I began uh, chemotherapy. I had six sessions of chemotherapy every three weeks from March to July. Uh, during that period, they said your hair will fall out, so I cut my hair short just to, you know, uh, so the, there wouldn't be much shock. And interestingly, uh, my dark hair fell out, but the white hair did not. So during that period, I still had hair, still looked like I had a head of hair or some hair, and it was just the, the, the gray and white. After I finished the chemo, my hair started growing back, and in fact... My hair grew back in places where I hadn't had hair in years. I had a bald spot at the crown of my head, and some of that hair has grown back. So I have my dark hair back to a degree. Uh, it's dark, and it's it's a little more salt and pepper than it was before. But and for the radio audience, it looks great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if anything, you know, if uh, it's it's not a procedure I would recommend, but it was uh, <laughs> one of the happy side effects. As far as side effects are concerned from the chemo, the only lasting one has been neuropathy, and that has affected my legs. I feel uh, my feet are uh, very um, numb at times. Um, I'm almost having like a relapse in the last week or so. Um, I hear that neuropathy word. is a, it's a, it's a nerve issue that affects your legs. At times, I feel like my motion is a little jerky. Um, I will have a uh, feeling in my legs that is a numbness at times, uh, but it's improving. The doctor said it could, the, the effect could let, it could last from six to 18 months. Well, it's just over six months. It has improved considerably. I think my inactivity over the last couple of weeks is why I might be feeling a little bit of a relapse. And that's because we talked about this last Thursday when we were talking um, that I had for the first time since before the pandemic, I had a bad cold about two weeks ago, uh, really laid me low. And in fact, which I, is why I, this show got postponed, which is why I got postponed from its original date in December. And 
it really laid me low. I mean, uh, I was coughing, uh, couldn't sleep for two or three nights. Um, and uh, I felt worse from that than from chemotherapy months earlier. But I got, I'm over the cold, maybe a little bit of a cough from time to time. But, but uh, my suspicion it was the RSV that's been going around because all of the symptoms they list for that is what I had. Wheezing, coughing, runny nose, um, no congestion. No congestion in my lungs. My, I went to my primary care physician. He said, you, no congestion in your lungs. But it was this constant nasal drip that was making me cough. And like I say, three nights without sleep was, uh, was nuts. And then more full disclosure for the radio audience that I think Mark clearly falls under the umbrella, the category of immunocompromised. Right. He's here in the studio, and we're both masked up. Right. And I'm doing that to protect us both, but in particular to protect you. Yes. Because you've got issues that you've got to deal with. But it... Sounds like the prognosis is good. Well, at this point, I am on that program I talked about before that they said, oh, we can't do you till later in the year. Um, it's a radiation treatment with something called Pluvicto. And what it does, it's a delivery system through radiation that, uh, that sends this element into your body. It seeks out the PSMA. It attaches to it, and it inhib inhibits it. Now, it's not a cure. What the doctors say at this point is it's going to add two to three years to my life expectancy, that's great. I've had two treatments already. Uh, they're every six weeks. My next one is on January 27th in uh, in Boston, and actually at their their facility in Newton, uh, Dana Farber, um, and it's working. Um, my PSA, which for a normal person is around three, and for a long time I thought you know getting to eight was serious. My PSA jumped up to 1,300 at the end of the summer before I started into this program. And after the first treatment, it had dropped to 874. So that's a 33% drop from one treatment. Now, I don't know what the effectiveness of the second one has been yet. We haven't had the blood tests done yet. That will happen the morning that I go in for my treatment on the 27th. So I'm hoping, um, I'm certainly hopeful, that uh, it's going to drop even further. And, um, you know, things look good. Now, we're talking about a treatment that wasn't available to me six years ago when I had my surgery. It wasn't available to me a year ago because it just wasn't there. So as new treatments are available, people have more, you know, more promising results as, as we go along. Um, it's obvious that some of the treatments I had were not working. They worked for a while, but this is a cancer that finds its way around those treatments and finds other ways to continue to multiply in your body. Mark Roy, our former news director at WILI, and my former roommate till he met another one and married her. Uh, he's my guest this morning. We talked Beatles earlier, but now we're talking about uh, serious stuff, health issues and the like. And, you know, for a guy who's also, me, had this experience, not all the stuff you got going on, but that initial doctor tells you you might have cancer. I guess with you it was you do have cancer. But nonetheless, I'm always intrigued by what your initial reaction was when you first heard that. My head was going to spin around and come off. I, was, uh, I didn't hear a word he said after that. It really got my attention. What about you? Well, initially, when the doctor, my primary care physician, um, said that it had, was elevated, um, there was a little bit of concern, but it's like, okay, you know, this happens to people. Um, but once the biopsy came back, I think, yeah, uh, remembering back six years ago, almost almost uh, six and a half years ago when I got the results, uh, yeah, very concerning. 
and knowing that the prostate then after that, when the prostate was removed, 23% of that prostate was cancer, was cancerous. Um, really, I've been, it's, it's been an emotional ro- roller coaster at times. Um, and higher and hopeful more often than not. Um, I have had super wonderful support from my wife, Cheryl. She's my driver to take me <laughs> into Boston. That's the um, roommate I talked about. Yeah, yeah. She, she is awesome um, and has seen me through this. And <laughs> I don't want people to think, oh, uh, you know, he, uh, uh, he's really bad off here. Physically, I am fine. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling the effects of the neuropathy. But so far, I've had no side effects from the cancer itself. All side effects have been from the treatments. And as I said, that abiraterone, which works for some people and doesn't cause as much problem as it did for me for my heart, um, that, that was not, you know, it, it worked for a while and then it didn't. And it's fine for other people. It's working for other people. And there are newer drugs coming along all the time. I don't remember the name, but when we were in one of the breaks, I heard a prostate drug available in one of the commercials that ran. I'd never heard of it before. But at this point, I'm probably beyond that. My doctors would have proposed that if it was something I should take. Um, but who knows? Who knows where we go from here? There are certain therapies and, and treatments that are still coming along. We are in a miraculous age in terms of um, the, the, our life on Earth in that we have so much research going on. And, and at times it seems like uh, we're not making progress, but we are. I heard there was a promising thing out last year about a drug that was for um, – for a cancer, and I'm going to forget what it was exactly for. It was in prostate, but it might have been a rectal cancer. But everyone in the clinical trial was cured. No. Oh. Everyone's cancer was gone from in this clinical trial. I, I think it was a rectal cancer. Now I'm not, not quite sure of that. But see, there are promising things. Now, can that be adapted for other kinds of cancer? I'm hoping, I'm sure there must be people out there who have said, yes, let's take that on as a research project. It's expensive. It takes time. Clinical trials are not something that happen like that. They take time. Then you got to write it up. What are the results? Did it work? Did it work effectively enough in enough people that we can make it available to more people? So those are the kinds of things that are going on there. And to wrap up what I was talking about with me is that, yes, Dr. Hoganen did say you might have cancer. And that's when my whole world was spinning. But in the middle of all the stuff I didn't hear him say because my head was spinning, he said, but I don't think it's cancer. I think you have prostatitis. I'm going to put you on Cipro for two weeks, and then we'll retest you. Bingo. He nailed it. But I did get that C-word diagnosis, and obviously it was sort of a false positive because it wasn't technically. But the PSA was up. Uh, I think it's important to talk about what we just talked about, especially the prostate cancer stuff, but everything, including the neuropathy and so forth. Uh, I think it's important to talk about all this stuff, including some of the things, you know, some people don't want to talk about prostate cancer. Some people don't want to talk about breast cancer, but it kills people. And that's why we've got to right. talk about it. And, I, and there's been controversial information about PSA. Is it accurate? Is it not accurate? Well, in my recent, case, yeah, in my case, it was yeah. important. These numbers are real and you've got to do something about this. Now, I know somebody <laughs> anecdotally. A friend from UConn who I ran into in the early years when I was facing this who said, gee, my PSA is regularly in the 20s and I don't have cancer. They don't understand why it's so high, but I don't have cancer. Okay, he got checked out. 
get yourself checked out. If your doctor tells you your PSA has jumped 50%, you need to, or even, you know, 100%, and it was at a low number, get that checked out. That's and, not something to just sit by and say, eh, I'll wait till next year. Don't wait. And that's if, the message. If the previous year, see, my, my PSA had been at one, one something, and then a, in, the next year it was three something. And the doctor said, well, it's still within the good range. What if I had gotten checked out when it was three something a year earlier? Would I have caught it sooner? Yeah, but that didn't happen. But I'm facing what, what actually did happen. And so we caught it at a, at a certain point. It's six years into it now since I had the biopsy, a little over six years. Six years certainly since the since the prostatectomy. Yep. Early screening is the key. Same thing with breast cancer. Same thing with every cancer for that matter. In fact, this Friday I'm doing a program about cervical cancer screening. It's all under the same umbrella, trying to keep people alive. And that's powerful stuff you talked about, Mark. But I'm really glad that you're here, that uh, things sound like they've got a good prognosis. And that means we can do another Beatles show next year. We can. We will do that. Maybe we'll get back to our original December plan, but otherwise January, even February the 4th works. We will get back. Former WILI News Director Mark Roy has been the guest this morning. Much of the morning was talking about the Beatles on the radio back in the old BBC days, but some pretty powerful stuff here at the end, talking about health, staying alive, and cancer, and making sure you get yourself checked out. 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.